Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to Tune In, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and I'm here today with Marissa Scheinfeld. Marissa Scheinfeld was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1980 and raised in the Catskills. She took her first black and white photography class at age 15 and hasn't put the camera down since. In 2002, she graduated from the State University of New York at Albany, having studied under photographer Phyllis Galembo and photographer Abby Robinson at the School of Visual Arts. From 2002 to 2003, she was an intern in the Community Programs Department at the International Center of Photography. Her photographs have been exhibited in New York, Washington, D.C., California, and London, and her work has been published in numerous publications, including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, Slate, Hadassah Magazine, and more. Marissa is here visiting with us today as she is installing the exhibit, which will be on display at the Yiddish Book Center echoes from the Borscht Belt. Welcome, Marissa. Thank you for having me. It's a delight to have you. Um, ever since our executive director, Susan Bronson, showed me your work and told me we were going to have an exhibit, I was just so excited. It's really, um, it's very strong work. Um, and I guess I should start off by asking you, yeah, how did you come to this? And maybe share with our listeners a little bit about the work, which are contemporary photographs of the Borscht Belt. Sure. Um, well, in a nutshell, the work is a contemporary view, or presents a contemporary view of the Borscht Belt as it looks today. Um, those of you who know about the Borscht Belt or don't, the area was predominantly a Jewish-American vacation destination, and it um, kind of was born in the 1920s, peaked in the 1960s, and then after that was in decline. And I've been photographing the remains of what is left of I guess two or three dozen out of over 600 hotels that once existed. There were 600 hotels at one time? 602, says the New York Times in an article that was uh, probably came out in the 50s. Mm -hmm. So for the past five years, I've been navigating the Borscht Belt almost like an archaeologist in many ways, where I'm looking for traces of the era, whether they exist in structural form or fragments. Yeah, I was wondering, um, the work is so strong. Um, It's also very emotional to look at in a way um, because we know what was there. Um, And you've captured these moments in time almost. And I'm wondering in terms of the photography, what you want the viewer, how you want the viewer to enter into that frame. Sure. Um, You know, when I began, I was very interested in the history of the Borscht Belt. I was born in Brooklyn and we moved up to Kayamisha Lake, which is sort of the Borscht Belt proper right next to Monticello when I was six. I went to a lot of the hotels as a kid, particularly Kutcher's and the Concord were our weekend staples and we would swim and play shuffleboard and do the typical Borscht Belt activity. Um, Going with my grandparents, this was about 1987. So the hotels had died down a lot, but as a kid, I really didn't know how epic they were. Moving on into the future, I um, started to think about where I was from and think about the effects of what I saw happen, which when I was in high school, the last of the hotels had closed, the Concord in 1996. And it was evident that with the hotels closing went a lot of the economy as well as the pride in the area. And when I was grappling with uh, what to do and what to shoot, I received very poignant advice. And I think it's appropriate for writers and artists and and many others, but it was to shoot what I know. And I knew my hometown had this past. 
I knew that that past had faded, but that it was very beloved and very cherished. So I began making seasonal visits back home at the time I was living in California, getting my master's, and I just started to drive. I drove back to places like the Concord and Kutcher's, found them as they were, which were literally the Concord was in piles. It had been demolished. Kutcher's was still standing at that time. And then I kept continuing um, going to places like Grossinger's and the Pines. Um, and it all sort of fell together like a domino effect where one hotel would lead me to another. It might lead me to an individual who helped me obtain access. It might lead me on a road where I found two pillars on the side where nothing else was there but those pillars. So if I was became gutsier and gutsier after a while and I would just pull over and get out of the car and go a few hundred yards in the woods and I'd find a pool. And I just have continued to look for any relic that I could find. And um, I guess what I want people to take away from it is um, a bit, if they've been there before, of a, a trigger of their own past, uh, their own memory, but really um, about the importance of the era about what it stood for, how impactful it was in Jewish American life, how its influence really spilled over to mainstream American culture. And um, the metaphor behind the project is really about life and the cycle of life and everything having a birth and a death and all of those in between. Some of the images are very dark and apocalyptic and some of them are peculiar and beautiful where you have a fern coming out of a wall or this beautiful plant just pushing its way through a foundation. So there are lots of notes. Some are bittersweet, some are, you know, very sad. Well, I mean, it, it certainly is so much a part of the Jewish story, um, the narrative of the 20th century. And it, to me, I think it represents a very, a place where um, multi-generational you know, things, you came there as a family. You usually had, as you mentioned, your grandparents would be there. Your parents would be there. You you would go and have friends. And it's interesting that you have titled the show Echoes of, from the Borscht Belt because there is something that's still resonating in the pictures. Did Definitely. you find that? Um, you know, the, the title has continually been a work in progress. I'll say that the original name was called Leftover Borscht oh. <laughs> because it was the leftovers of what had once been this sort of grand plate or cuisine of, of hotels. And Echoes, I think, worked because the word resounds on the fact that you're not going to come to the Yiddish Book Center and see an exhibition that is about the Borschfeld as you might have known it. It is not only going to be, um, you know, ephemera, which I do have in the exhibition, but it is going to be more of a contemporary view. So it it um, harnesses or harkens back to the Borscht Belt, but in a very different state that than it once had been in. So you mentioned there were 600 hotels, which I find staggering. I had no idea that there were that many. And there's really not anything, is it safe to say, left in terms of the hotels? I'd say that there's nothing left of what was once known as the Borscht Belt, mm -hmm. but many hotels have been repurposed. For example, you have... Hotels such as the Brickman, 
um, and a few other hotels in the area. I'm forgetting the name, but those hotels have been purchased by a guru from India who turned them into meditation and yoga retreats. You have other hotels that have become drug rehabilitation centers. You have some hotels that are orthodox, and the orthodox community has created their own sort of new vacation mm-hmm. land there. My project focuses on the hotels that are abandoned, where the development or the decisions that have been you know, altered are because the county is waiting for something um, to happen, something that gives investors a reason to sink millions of dollars into a new project. And you grew up, right, adjacent to this resort area, the Borscht Belt, as it were. And what was that like? It wasn't like you came from, you know, New York on the weekends or it was your family, you know, one week vacation together. So you said you would have dinner there. Did you stay over? We never stayed over. We would kind of just sneak in for the day. My grandfather was a card shark, and he hopped from hotel card room after you know, to hotel card room. So he knew everyone there. And I think because this was the late 1980s and you didn't have to really, you know, bang down the doors to get into the hotels. I heard stories of people telling me they crawled underneath metal gates and, you know, fences to get into a show on a Saturday night because it was booked. For us, it was just, we walked in and we were very welcomed. And um, I went to the coffee shop. I don't remember eating in the dining rooms because we weren't guests but we were able to spend hours and hours there. And whenever anyone came up to visit us, that's where we would go because it would be a, a destination. And um, in doing the photography and going back and discovering all these places, is there one place that just hit you hard? I thought for a very long time that I wasn't going to be impacted by anything. Of course, throughout photographing and going back to the same hotel dozens of times, I almost had an experience of awe where I would see something that I didn't expect to see or um, encounter something that was drastically different and plagued with questions of, well, who moved that? Who was here? How did that change? What did the, the winter bring? How did the spring sort of, you know, allow the building to sort of like seep and change and crackle and all of those effects of time and weather and Mother Nature, of course, which is very powerful and comes through, I think, in a lot of the pictures. But, um, you know, I think that um, overall it was really just, um, just, you know, continuing to investigate. There's one picture, excuse me, because I don't know the titles of mm-hmm. them yet. Um, it's the image of the bed with the telephone. And it's just, it's such an amazing, I keep coming back to it because... And I think that this is present in many of the photographs on the exhibit. It's just stopped in time. I mean, somebody picked up that phone. It's like you you could imagine picking up the phone, putting it down on the bed, and you walk away, and that's the end of the hotel in a way. It just I can't quite describe it or put my finger on it, but it's just it's interesting, it's haunting, and yet there's some there's some presence of a person in there. There is. That image of the Tamarack has a, has a very strong narrative. And at this point, doing the project for about five years, it's the narrative that I'm seeking. Um, I'm not moving anything. I'm not touching anything. Mm-hmm. The Tamarack 
burned down in a fire. And that guest room that I was in was one of the only rooms that didn't burn. So it was very likely that it was uninhabited and maybe the fire signaled people leaving. I'm not really sure how it ended up like that. It could also have been people who have gone in there and just hung out or searched it out themselves and made that phone the way it is. But I just wanted to get back to something that I didn't really address, and it was the emotional mm-hmm. question you mm-hmm. asked me because I kind of got lost in my own mind. But Kutcher's for me was that place. I was only able to go to Kutcher's this past summer, so that's about four and a half years into the project that I actually felt this sort of um, you know, real emotion in the sense that I was brought to tears after I left. And I think, you know, I have memories of Kutcher's with my grandparents, with my parents, when everyone was young and, you know, life hadn't sort of brought so many different changes and, you know, moments of, it was, it was a lot more pure. And um, I left Kutcher's after photographing really quickly because I knew someone that was a guard there who gave me access because the hotel is currently being turned into an Ayurvedic hotel. Mm. So I left and I was driving down Broadway in Monticello and I just had this wave crash over me and I was devastated. And I think it was a bit of mourning for, for the past and I, I didn't expect it to be so strong and I have not yet returned to Kutcher's since. Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's something so familiar. It's culturally familiar. Mm-hmm. It's um, something that's just, uh, I don't know, I guess a part of all of us. Um, Definitely. I mean, the Borschwatt was a place where people went back year after year and forged bonds and connections. And, you know, my husband's parents went on their honeymoon there and so did my grandparents. And my other set of grandparents met while my grandmother was hitchhiking up there one summer. So... It's unbelievable since I've been doing this project how many people have literally poured out of the woodworks via email or phone call to me sharing with me their story. Mm-hmm. And often the typical Borschfelter might look at one of my photographs and immediately say, oh, this is so sad. But a minute later, their eyes will light up uh, or their voice will just change tonation. And they'll be so excited because they'll share with me one of their best memories. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about the Borschwelt is it really was a place of fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's a, there are these voices in the head. Even the picture of the pool for me, while you could think, oh, yes, it's terribly sad in this state of demise, what comes to my mind is being around that pool and grandparents and being told you have to get out of your wet bathing suit, you know, yep. you have to always put a dry one on, and and, mm-hmm. and all those things just sort of come back in this very happy wave um, because there's still an aspect of it left. And you mentioned people coming out of the woodwork, and one other aspect of the show, and um, I just had the pleasure of watching the installation with you and, and then working on the cases where you had the ephemera, and you mentioned that people are continuing to give you, I mean, those some of the pieces that you've you've captured or you've gotten are just great they're they're wonderful and they're so rare and each one that i come across um is just you know it gets better and better um you know i recently got uh, a dress from the Nevely, which um, mm-hmm. has, is going to be first seen here at the book center. And um, we put it on a dress form and it, and it came alive again. And uh, even one of the staff members here <laughs> put it on and it was fantastic to see her just embody it. 
and um, a lot of the ephemera I've collected, some of it I've been given, and two particularly rare items I was loaned. One, one is a camera that has Kutcher's imprint on it. Mm-hmm. That was great. So it just shows you how much was produced from the era, how much paper, how many objects, you know, postcards, photographs, soap. Um, so lots of different objects of interest. Yeah, and I loved um, reading some of the menus as I mentioned to you. It's like, oh, I remember that your appetizer in those days was a glass of chilled tomato juice mm-hmm. in, a, in a tiny little cup and stuff. It's just great. And the stories, I mean, I never sat down in the dining room at the Concord, even though we went there all the time. We, you know, like I said, we weren't guests, but the stories I've heard of just all you can eat you know, till the end of the day and just order a steak and then order this and then have some dessert. And it was just really, um, you hear it really come to life when you hear the words of people who have lived it and been there. And it's just, it's, it's over. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, did it just live out its natural life? Do you think? I think that there's so many, I don't believe that there's one specific reason of why the Borscht Belt came to a close. I think it's a multitude of ingredients and factors that were all happening at the same time. One could be the boom of the airline industry in the 1970s, where people such as my people in my own family who had gone up there every year could finally get on a plane and go to Europe for the summer, and the world really opened up. Mm. In addition, you know, when the Borscht Belt was kind of bubbling up in the 1920s. The reason was because Jews were banned from hotels in the United States. I think fast forward into the 1960s, there was a lot more acceptance, Mm -hmm. and there wasn't really such a need to be as segregated. I think Jews were much more welcome, and you were able to go to any hotel. You know, then you have, you know, models were places that modeled themselves after the Borscht Belt, like Atlantic City and Las Vegas, which also came up at that time. Right. Um, and I think it could be the most simplest of explanations that everything has its season and its day. And um, it passed. But just it's it's incredible that it still is has meaning many generations later. For so many people, yeah. you know, yeah. generation after generation. Um, you know, I'll have people contact me who are well into their late 80s and then people who are teenagers who say, oh, my grandparents told me about this. And, you know, we drove by, but there was, you know, it was closed. And Right. I heard the great comedians. I did the chubby checker twist. Of course. And, that, and you yeah. and I didn't even get yeah. into the entertainment <laughs> aspect of, of how many wonderful and talented personalities came out of the Borscht Belt and got their starts there. In conjunction, I will mention it, and um, that we're doing some programming in conjunction with the exhibit, which will be here through October, um, which is a mini Borscht Belt Festival, because it really also helps to sort of contextualize in a way and and to celebrate as well um, what it was all about. And I, I just have to ask, how has your family received all of this? You know, I think at first... Like many other people, when I first started this project, no one really understood why I wanted to go into an abandoned hotel and spend the whole day there. Um, I even got, you know, some feedback where people alluded to me being crazy. And I said, well, maybe crazy, but I believe that there is a story to tell and I'm going to keep going until I 
feel like I've maybe told it or even tapped a little bit of its surface. And um, my family, of course, is so proud. And I think that they they get it now mm-hmm. and they see it. Um, they see why I'm doing it. They see my connection to it. And, um, you know, they're, they're parents and family and they're proud. Yeah. I mean, it may be a funny word to attach to it, but I thank you for something that I feel is very celebratory in its own way. Because it really... It's um, it's evocative, and it, it also um, does homage to mm-hmm. a period of um, our history that you know was was as you say it was very fun. It was a place mm-hmm. where there were great memories made. Definitely, yeah. and of course, you know the Borspelt has been so widely documented. There are countless books by historians and wonderful writers and people who have recounted personal memory mm-hmm. and archival image and and I of course sourced all that and and keep reading as much as I can and and I realized that there wasn't a real true depiction or a, a photographic series being that I'm a photographer that really documented what remained well it's it's a really wonderful exhibit and I can't wait to see the last um the last photograph hung up today um yeah. so I can walk through the gallery um and again thank you so much um, thank for you. bringing this to us it's just it's more great, than happy to thank great. you so much and I hope you'll continue uh to document more things as you go along <laughs> definitely yeah. and I guess um for those who are listening and on April 26th the exhibit opens and I'm giving a talk at 11:30 a.m. it'll mm-hmm. be part of the community open house day and then I will be back on August 2nd in the afternoon right and the um the exhibit again opens April 26th at the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst Massachusetts and runs through October 2015 the center is open Sundays through Fridays 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Um, and we hope that you'll come out and visit um So thank you again, Marissa. You've been listening to Tune In, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org. Our producer is Sarah Bleichfeld. I'm Lisa Newman. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon. Mm -hmm.